0: We're going to think today about a new king anointed. And the change of a king, a change of a leader is a very crucial time. It can be a, a very unsettling time. I know at different times serving as a convener in a vacancy, uh, that first week or so sometimes you get an awful lot of phone calls. It's, it's almost as if people panic because the minister who was there before is now uh, away and it's get unsettled. Samuel is very unsettled. He has to deal with this very challenging new situation now that King Saul is being rejected and is going to be replaced with David. And the first thing we see in this passage is Samuel's grief for the king. Unlike with Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Saul's reign would end with shame with him being rejected by God. And there were two main incidents which brought this to a head. First of all, there was the battle with the Philistines in which he was waiting for Samuel to come and He got fed up waiting that he offered sacrifices to God, which was not lawful for him to do. He wasn't a priest, and he did that rather than wait for Samuel to come. And it showed a a lack of faith in the Lord. And then the second time was that the failure to obey God and to wipe out the Amalekites. The Amalekites were a very wicked and evil people. And God's judgment was pronounced upon him. And we must always remember this. Why not we have a loving and gracious and tender God? He does judge evil. And so Saul was to be God's instrument in wiping out these people totally and all their animals. And rather than doing that, Saul thought he knew better than God, he didn't kill the king straight away, and held back some of the animals for sacrifice. And that's, from there comes that Famous statement God wants obedience rather than sacrifice. And so these two incidents show that Saul, in his heart, was not a man who was right with God, but he had a heart which had a lack of faith and was rebellious. And probably what hurt Samuel most was that he himself had invested so much of his time and so much of himself in Saul's life. Samuel was the one used by God to tell Saul he was king. He was the one used by God to anoint him and proclaim him as king. Samuel was the one throughout Saul's reign was there to guide and to direct him in what he should do. King Saul was such a part of Samuel's life, and now his reign would end in shame. And the news of the ending of Saul's reign and the ending of his favor of God was really tough for Samuel, so challenging for him. Now, hopefully none of us are disappointed with the queen, and we are thankful that her reign has ended with such dignity. But like Saul with Samuel, the passing of the queen is the passing of someone who has been so much part of of our lives, no matter what age we are. She's there on our money. She's there on our stamps, on our post boxes, her insignia. She was there on TV, and the trouble is in her own land. I think particularly of Skillen and the, the bombing there, how she appeared at very challenging times to reassure people. Also, during COVID, she did that. It is challenging for us because she was with us for so long, and there is a sense where we almost maybe felt she would always be there, and I think it was that Boris Johnson said that in his speech, we almost had a sense that she was eternal. And it's hard to come to terms when someone who is so much part of our ni- lives has, is taken away. Initially, there can be a tremendous sense of unbelief, a sense of unreality about what we're going through. I don't know about you, but it's a bit like when I've suffered other bereavement. I wake up in the morning over the past few days and think, did that really happen? Has the queen really died? We thank God that unlike Samuel or Saul, we have a queen who has died and who we have no regrets over. And it's right, and it's nothing wrong to mourn. There's nothing wrong to grieve the passing of someone who was part of our lives, even though I think most of us have never met her. Yet she was part of our lives, and we do grieve her loss. But then we see, secondly, here God's call for action in the beginning of verse 16. Yes, there needs to be a time of grieving. This is a time we need to go through, it's a time we are not to rush. But there does come a time when we need to act. We need to move on. Now, never forget the one who has passed away. But to move on to something which is a a new normality and to a new experience. And look what the Lord said to Samuel in verse 1, "'How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel?' Fill your horn of oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now Samuel is being particularly challenged here because he's not just an individual, but he was a prophet. He was a mouthpiece for the nation. He was someone who was to give direction and the hope to the people around him, and so he just can't grieve he needs to move on and to fulfill his role. I'm sure you have, like me, thought it's been a tremendous challenge for the man who was Prince Charles, who is now King Charles, and how the, the day after his mother dies, he has to go down to Buckingham Palace, and he has to address the nation. And then he has to go through the act of a and he has to go and fulfill all these other responsibilities. There's different services this week, different meetings, the receiving of the different dignitaries that will come in at the weekend. Uh, he just hasn't had time to grieve, and certainly I wouldn't recommend what he is going through as a pattern for how you cope with grief. And there is a danger. I know one man who was involved in Christian work who's, whose wife died, and he just buried himself in his work. Never gave himself time to grieve. And about a year or so later, just bang, he just collapsed. Now he did recover. But the problem was he hadn't given himself time to grieve. Yes, we need time to grieve. And sometimes people can be very heartless when people are grieving and somehow think that after a matter of a few weeks, your grief will be over. It takes a long time to to get over if you ever fully get over. You need time to grieve. But then we do need to move on with our God-given responsibilities. There's a balance in this. Yes, people can try and not grieve and just rush on, and that's not right. But the other challenge is that we grieve and we never seek to go back to some sort of normality. And there is a time after grief we need to go to our God-given responsibilities, whether that be like Samuel as a prophet or whether it be as a father, a mother, or whatever. Yes, bereavement is tough, but bereavement is not the end of our world here on earth. God still has a calling for us to fulfill even after bereavement. And we are amazed at the way that Prince Charles is getting on and getting that sense of duty that his mother has displayed throughout her life. And there are times we need to be reminded that we have a sense of duty to fulfill. I remember a situation where I was called to a home one morning where a little boy at the age of nine had died in his sleep. And I came into this home uh, other than the immediate family, the, the people who lived in the house, the, the father and mother and the two wee brothers. Uh, the only other person there was the doctor. And it was amazing just there as we were talking over things, uh, the mother was talking over arrangements and they were with one hand feeding her little child. Just the responsibility was just automatic to get on with Judy. And there is a sense where we we have to be careful that we don't allow bereavement as an excuse not to get on with our God-given responsibilities at the right time, of course. Now, Samuel here is called to move on to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king. There's no time for him, in a sense, to keep wallowing in grief here. It's time for Samuel to act. It's it's time to perform his God-given duties. And there always needs to be this right balance, the balance between, as we see in this situation this week, of marking the queen's death and then announcing King Charles III as the new king. And you know, I don't know how you responded to that, if you watched that accession ceremony yesterday. I've got to say that the part that took place inside was, was so difficult and uh, Said some of the commentators that those very hardened politicians who were there, uh, many of them came out with blinking eyes and and were emotional. And it's (laughs) it's good to know they have a heart, isn't it? Uh, And they were moved by it. And it was very moving that, uh, particularly when they shouted, God save the king. But when the, the picture, the scene went outside and there was that proclamation made about Charles being the king, and then the soldiers take off their hats, and they do the three cheers for the king. I've got to say my attitude changed from being sense very touched, realizing that it's been passed over, now to a sense of hope that's to be found. And I think the way that all has been worked out this week, it's, there's been like something so smooth about it. It's poignant, but the smoothness gives you a sense that there's a future and there's a hope. And so we do need that time to grieve when we go through situations in life. But then we have to realize there is a life to be left. Yes, with pain, yes, with heavy hearts, but we have a God-given responsibility that we need to fulfill. And I want to challenge you gently here today, and to ask you, is there something in your past? It could be a a bereavement, but it could be something else that was hurtful. It could be a a conflict or some other hurt. It could be a, a disappointment, something that is hurting you and holding you back from going on with what the Lord has for you. Is there something that's been a a snare to you? Think of Hebrews 12, talking about laying aside sin and weights that would entangle us and to run the race. Is there something that's been holding you back? Or maybe you're not a Christian here and there's something in your past, maybe the way a Christian has behaved or treated you, there's something that's holding you back from coming to Christ and heeding the call of Jesus. Yes, there's a time we have to deal with stuff, which is tough, but there's a time we cannot be held by the past. Now, here we see Samuel is hesitant about moving on. He's hesitant about fulfilling his responsibility and fulfilling God's plan. Look there at verse 2. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears that he will kill me? And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, and say I've come to sacrifice the Lord. And invite Je- Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. I think this is wonderful here. Samuel will be saying, but Lord, Saul, kill me. The Lord is basically replying, Samuel, do you not think that I have a plan? Do you not think that I have this worked out? Do you not think that I have prepared for this very situation and scenario that you're in? Trust me, Samuel. I'm in control here. I know what I'm doing. There's been a lot of talk this week about Operation London Bridge, about the plan. I don't know how long this has been uh, drawn up. But this plan was set in motion, and it's been reassuring. It's been worked out in great detail about what was to happen with the queen's death and then the passing of the throne to Charles and with her funeral arrangement. But do we think that God has anything which he hasn't planned for? Dear Christian, understand this. God has everything worked out. He has His plans, which are absolutely perfect and flawless, full of wisdom and full of love. And the difference is that His plans cannot be thwarted. They will be carried out. And this knowledge of the Lord's most loving and wise control over everything enables us in faith to have the strength to go on. And realizing even that painful thing which has hurt us and challenged us and has held us back for Peter, even that was part of his plan. But now he's got a plan to move us on that is wise, that is loving. So here we see Indeed, God's call for action. And then finally, we see God's guidance as to what is important. Samuel, as he comes to meet Jesse and his sons, he's initially going to make the same mistake that he did with King Saul in verse 6. He says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before, before him. He sees this big fella, Eliab, probably with rippling muscles, a tall fella, the great stature, exactly like what King Saul looked like. Just the person you need to be king, just the person to keep everyone in line, just the person to lead the army. Samuel was going by outward appearances, looking at a big and strong physical stature. And there's always the danger where we quickly make the mistakes that have been made before, looking on the outward, looking at the physical. Now, In the choosing of Saul, it was God's choice. But in a sense, the idea to have a king was not God's idea. It was the people's idea. And God was giving the people what they wanted. They wanted this big, strong fella, Good on the outside, but not good in the heart. You know, we all, because we tend to be more material and spiritual... We all have the tendency in our thinking not to be thinking the way God does and focus too much on outward things when God wants our focus to be elsewhere. How do we begin to see things the way God wants us to see things? How do we begin to focus on the unseen rather than just what we see of our eyes? We begin to think like God when the unseen, the spiritual, becomes as real to us as the physical. Our priorities will be right when we have this eternal perspective growing in our thinking as we spend time in God's presence and His Word in the place of prayer and worship. We will not make the mistake of Samuel as more and more we're rooted deeply in the very Word of God. God guides Samuel here to have a a right focus here in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. There's echoes here of, Acts chapter 1, when a replacement was being appointed for Judas Iscariot, and it was down to two men, Joseph and Matthias, and the people prayed, Lord, show us, you know the heart of men. The sons of Jesse have come and gone. The Lord knows our hearts, and these men are rejected. And God's choice here was someone who was so insignificant, so insignificant that they didn't even bother bring him to the meal. Look, little David, let him stay with the sheep. Don't bring him into the food. He doesn't count. He's too small. He's too insignificant. But he was the one chosen. Why? Because he was someone after God's own heart. Yes, he was a good-looking fella, But he didn't look strong. He didn't look to be tremendous on the outside. But in his heart, he was the one who was right with God. And Samuel anoints David for his task. The anointing speaks of the empowerment of God. I just love the way verse 13 mentions there about how indeed the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, just equipping him for the task that he's called to do. And the reason why he needed the Spirit of God because that which is important to God is that our hearts are right with God and our hearts only become right with God through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We just can't make our hearts right with God. We can't change what we're like on the inside. Yes, we should study God's Word. We should pray. But it's the work of the Spirit to mold and to shape us inside. It's having a heart that knows Jesus and knows the reality of Jesus. Tim Farron, former leader of the Liberal Democrats, spoke really well this week in the House of Commons about Her Majesty the Queen. Tim Farron was leader of the Liberal Democrats, but he realized he just couldn't do it and be a Christian because of the compromise he was asked to make. And this is what he said about Her Majesty the Queen how she had an active living faith in a living Savior. May God bless him for being so faithful in what surely is an environment hostile to such a message. His point wasn't that she didn't just have a ceremonial outward faith. It was inward. It was alive. She knew Jesus. And the secret to her years of faithfulness and service was her relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, her Savior and her Lord. That's what we need to pray for King Charles. And that's part of what we have been singing here today when we sang the nice anthem, God Save the King. And every time you sing that over how many years Charles is king, remember this, you're praying that the power and reality of Christ will be in his heart. And he will know Jesus in that real and living way as his mother did. And this is what each of us needs. Remember, man looks in the outward. We come into church. You all look respectable today. You all look good but I can only see you on the outside. What does God see? What does Jesus see as he looks at your heart today? Does he see a heart which is yielded to him? A heart that is humble, that is trusting in him as your only hope? Does he see the heart of someone who wants to serve, to give him glory and honor? It doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter really our ability. It doesn't really matter what we look on the outside. It's where are we with Jesus? Tim Farron, he finished his speech by saying, For 70 years we have sang, God save the Queen. And he says, If the Queen's faith was accurate as I totally believe it was, today God has answered that prayer. Her Majesty the Queen has gone to be with the King of Kings, not because of her 70 years of service, not because she's the Queen, not because she's a good person, because as a sinner, she's realized Jesus is her only hope. And she's come to embrace him as Savior and Lord. I trust today that that equally is true of you. God save the King. God save every one of us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Word We thank you that there is a relevance in your word for every situation in life. And Father, we pray as we come to a a new situation for our nation, having that sense of lost someone who was always there over so many years, Lord, that we would turn to the one who will never leave us, who will always be there, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, we pray that as we've been reminded that our hearts being right with you is the most important thing. Father, we spend a lot of time getting up in the morning, getting washed, getting showered, getting our hair done, getting our clothes on. But how much time do we spend in getting our hearts right with you? Give us that grace, O God, to trust in Jesus and to know that living hope in the living Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.